0: Welcome back to the DHF podcast. I'm Scott McNay, pastor at the La Plata Christian Church and board member on the DHF board. And with me today is Sam Sears, my co-host. Good morning, Sam.
1: Hey, good morning, Scott. Nice to see you out of the wood shop like you were last time. Uh,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah, I am Sam Sears. I am a board member at DHF. I am also the pastor at the Fountain Christian Church uh, way out here in California. And today we have... BJ Leonard with us and his wife, Mary, and we're going to let them introduce themselves. There's a call in their life to go do something a little different, but I would love just to know first how you came to the Lord in the first place.
2: All right, you can go first.
3: (laughs) Well, hi, I'm Mary. Thank you so much for having us on your podcast. So BJ told me I'm up first. So here we go. (laughs) Um, I was actually born overseas in Zambia, which is in Africa, and my parents were missionaries. And so I had a very early start with church. And when I was in junior high, I was baptized actually in Lexington, Kentucky, and great place. And I'm a
1: Kentuckian. Really? I was Google, grew up in, in Corbin and London. Um, the first church I was ever like on, I was assistant pastor of was where Colonel Sanders used to attend. Um, yeah. So Kentucky's my stomping grounds. That's nice.
3: Yes. It was a great place. We always went there on our furloughs when my parents were missionaries. Um, so I kind of just grew up in a Christian home and throughout, especially junior high and high school really began to make my faith my own. And I went to college at Lincoln Christian College and majored in missions and teaching English as a second language. And that's where I met DJ. Um, And I would just say throughout, especially my college years, in junior high and high school, kind of making my faith my own. But in college, it turned more into like, what am I going to do with my faith and with my life? And how is this going to play out more than just being my faith? But what am I going to do with my faith? Um, and then we have spent the rest of our adult lives living that out. So, all right, you're up, BJ.
2: All right, so um, so I'm BJ. I grew up in a little farm town in western Iowa. Uh, I jokingly say that there are more people at First Christian Church in Decatur than there are in my hometown in, uh, in Logan, Iowa. Uh, so grew up in a little, little town there, going to a little church, uh, the same church that my great-grandparents went to. <clears throat> and uh, I attribute a lot, of, uh, a lot of my faith now to just a great foundation that was laid uh, by a lot of great Sunday school teachers and youth group leaders and family members and mentors and friends. So I just, I just had an amazing experience uh, growing up in the church and seeing faith lived out. There was a legacy of ministry and mission um, at the church. In fact, uh, there was a run there of probably around 20 or 25 years where every year someone from the graduating high school class went into vocational ministry. Um, You know, this is a church of 120 people. Um, And so there was just this legacy of uh, young men and young women going into uh, vocational ministry, whether it be uh, as a pastor, a youth minister, um, going on to the mission field, uh, Christian counseling. And so we had great relationships with a number of Bible colleges, Christian colleges Um, in our area. But I ended up kind of leaving the nest a little bit and uh, coming out to uh, Central Illinois and going to Lincoln Christian University, which is where uh, Mary and I met um, kind of in class, but more so doing ministry together. So uh, I had started a ministry to at-risk youth there in Lincoln for a number of reasons. Uh, There was a whole segment of the the kind of junior high and high school population that wasn't being reached by, by many of the churches there. And so we started that ministry and Mary came on board. We did ministry together and fell in love and have been doing ministry together since then. Um, so I've been the, uh, the missions pastor at First Christian Church in Decatur for the last uh, 12 and a half years and uh, love my role here. Um, a part of what we do is uh, we minister in a, uh, in a very specific neighborhood here in the city That's actually where we're sitting right now. We're sitting at our dining room table. Um, If the lighting worked and we could open up the windows behind us, you would see uh, a part of what we call the block neighborhood. Uh, Scott's been there before, uh, but we we live here. We do ministry here, and we are on mission uh, here in this neighborhood as a family. At the last DHF conference, uh, I really
1: enjoyed hearing about the block. Uh, Could you just share a little bit more
2: yeah, so uh, yeah, so the Block neighborhood is, uh, it's a very old neighborhood. Uh, most of the houses here are between 115 and 130 years old. So it's a, uh, an older neighborhood, it's pretty dilapidated. Um, most everybody who can move out has moved out and then slowly over time through house fires and houses just deteriorating, the a number of houses have actually um, begun to collapse. We find out that in the middle of the night, Our neighbor's house caught on fire, um, which uh, which is a pretty common occurrence. But anyway, so all that to say, so uh, we very specifically chose this neighborhood because um, our church back in 2004 asked a a very uh, intentional and dangerous question. If we as a church didn't exist anymore, if we ceased to exist, if we just vaporized, would anybody in our community notice? And the honest answer, you know, kind of look in the mirror was, nope, we're a country club. So um so we made a very conscious decision to reach out to the elementary school which is across the, the street from our building and so we have an after school program uh for those students and we are very invested there i was there yesterday morning praying with uh, teachers and staff Shh, don't tell anybody um but uh yeah we were, we were over there uh praying together and um so after doing that after school program for a number of years uh we asked another dangerous question we said, hey, it's great that these kids and families are coming to our building. What would it look like for us to go to the neighborhood where they live? And so uh, we uh, kind of charted out addresses and and learned that quite a few of our students from our, from our after school program, as well as just a lot of students from the elementary school in general live in this neighborhood. And so uh, we dove in and the church began doing ministry here, uh, meeting neighbors, building friendships, and then uh, we took the plunge and uh, moved into the block. And so we've lived here for the last six and a half years um, in the block house, which means that we have relationships with our neighbors um, that very much goes outside of kind of nine to five programmatic ministry. It's a lot of uh, talking to people on the front porch and building connections and relationships. And I do a lot of, uh, you know, weddings and funerals uh, for families here in the neighborhood. And then Um, We do some neighborhood events, but really, uh, our ministry is building relationships and also a thing that we do on Wednesday evenings here in our house called Community Table. I'll I'll let Mary share a little bit about what that is.
3: All right. So I just want to just reemphasize one thing that BJ said is all of the we's that he kept talking about isn't our family. That's our church. And while our family lives in the block house, it really... Takes the involvement of the entire church, and some people support financially, but also people come and volunteer in the neighborhood, and they volunteer at the after-school program, and so many people praying. And I think that the blessing of the ministry and the block um, is really a church-wide effort, and different people getting involved in different ways. And so that's been really beautiful to see. Um, but on Wednesday evenings, we have community table, and it functions. Somewhat like a small group, and our we have friends in our neighborhood and they come over, and friends from the wider community who maybe can't or don't go to church for various reasons. Um, they gather and we have a meal together, and there are a ton of children. And so we contribute <laughs> five of those children. We do. Yeah, there's a lot of children, including our <laughs> children. There's a ton. <laughs> um, So it's really loud and really messy and just a lot of fun. We eat together and then the kids go outside and play and the adults gather around the table and just open up the Bible and we read and we discuss and we talk about what it teaches us about God and what it teaches us about our own lives and our relationships with others and how we can apply it. And we pray for each other. We ask for requests. And I think one of my favorite things about Community Table is that outside of the walls of the church, people know that they're broken. And so they come and they ask these incredible questions at Community Table that people would probably be scared to ask maybe in a church setting. And they ask for prayers for things that they're truly struggling with. Um, And it's just such an honor to hear those and to be able to pray with people and to be able to invest in their lives. And um, amazing to see the people around the table invest in each other. Um, We have some people who are more grandparent age, and we have some younger people that are teenagers. And just the way that they speak into each other's lives is wonderful. Um, So that is community table. And it's always a disaster every Wednesday. Our house is a disaster afterwards but it
0: is 100% worth it. Yeah, that's awesome. So then what is, um, I mean, would you describe it as a new calling or just a shift in direction in ministry or uh, what would you call and then what is uh, this new phase on the horizon? Yeah,
2: yeah so uh, Mary, Mary teared up a little bit so she had to go grab a, a tissue. <laughs> Community table is table. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's crazy, yeah. but it's beautiful. And so for us, um, Yes, I would say it's, it's kind of a new season, a new phase, but also in some ways it's a continuation of what uh, God has already been doing in our lives, as well as the life of the church. And so mm-hmm. I would say kind of our story of calling to Kenya, which is where, where we're going to go, is really wrapped up in another story, kind of, I would even say the bigger story of First Christian Church. Um, And so you you kind of have these two stories kind of weaving in and out together. And so um, all the way back in 1987, um, some missionaries approached the leadership team of First Christian Church. You know, this is when FCC was like 140 people, if that. And um, so Gary and Judy Woods. And uh, and they went um, to Kenya with CMF, Christian Missionary Fellowship. And uh so the church really for the first time uh kind of coming out of the disciples were saying hey these are our missionaries uh we're supporting them they were excited they were passionate uh they were giving directly to the woodses and it was just this just this beautiful partnership um and so uh the church faithfully supported the woodses and they were they were pioneer missionaries i mean they went out way out into the bush and they you know lived in the hut and You know, use the restroom in the in the hole, and you know, found their water and all that kind of stuff. Trying to keep it kind of keep it PG, but anyway, all that to say, so uh, it was just great ministry, and so they were blazing a trail in some ways. First Christian Church was was blazing this new trail with them, and then uh, they returned around 2000, and you know, said that their ministry was transitioning, it was shifting. They were still very much going to be working in Kenya, but that they were looking for uh, people to join their team. The same time that they're saying that a couple from our church who he had basically worked on the farm his whole life um, and she was a stay at home mom felt the calling to go to Kenya, you know? Yeah. Oftentimes you, you, you know, kind of think about young people fresh out of college, you know, that they, they are excited, they're passionate. This is like a 40-year-old and like a 44-year-old saying, let's move our three kids to Kenya. And so they did. They, uh, they made that commitment and they were from the pews of of our church. And so, uh, you know, Lynn, uh, the husband, had was born and raised at, at First Christian Church. Like two weeks old, came to church, you know, as a baby. And so he'd grown up in the church. Dory um, had been on staff for a time. And so they went and the church was incredibly grateful, incredibly excited to be able to support them, uh, not just financially, but to really be their home church. And so, you know, over over the years of supporting the Kazeers, they were so much more than just, you know, write a check and send it, you know, to, to whoever. And so uh, the Kazeers were our living links in Kenya. And so what we saw was these great relationships of communication back and forth, the Kazeers were being supported, but at the same time, the church was being transformed. Our partnership as a church in Kenya was a catalyst for our church to, to give more, to grow more, to get more and more excited. And so within a couple of years of Dory going to the field, uh, we came on staff and the church began to send uh, mission teams to go to Kenya, which I know, uh, you know the first team wasn't until... Uh, September of 2010, it was a like a 16, 17 year dream of you know Pastor Wayne Kent uh, to see our church send people boots on the ground uh, there in Kenya, and so we had just come on staff, we had actually just got done backpacking through Zambia uh, that summer of 2010, and so I was, I mean my backpack still had dust on it from being in Africa, and here's this team leaving to go to Kenya, and uh, I remember praying with them in the lobby and thinking, man. I would love to go to Kenya. Like, I I just got back from Africa. I would love to go. And Wayne looked at me and said, BJ, maybe someday you'll have ch- your chance to go. And so what's been interesting is that uh, a year later, I was on uh, the second trip to go to Kenya. Um, Wayne, more or less, while we're in Kenya, knighted me as the missions pastor that I was going to lead all future Uh, trips to Kenya. So I've been to Africa now 14 times, led 12 trips to Kenya, Uh, been there many times. Mary and and our three oldest daughters have been there twice. Um, Our son, who we adopted out of foster care now has been there with us. And so we love Africa. I mean, Mary's from Africa. I've been there so many times, you know, and we've just built this great relationship there. And the church has built a great relationship in Kenya. Uh, That's what has allowed First Christian Church to send twelve teams, hundreds of thousands of dollars. You'd probably say, hundreds of thousands of prayers and connections over the years. Uh, because as Lynn and Dory would come back to the states, we were the home church. We the the church bought a little house for them to live in, uh, for them and their family to stay in. And so it was just this amazing relationship. It was so cool to see how it how it changed our church. And then very tragically, uh, Linendoria came back about a year ago. Uh, They were here on furlough. Lynn needed to have a a pretty minor uh, heart procedure. And um, Mary and I actually met with Lynn and Dory. It would have been um, about a year ago uh, today. Yeah, right at the end of November, uh, right there around Thanksgiving. We met with them um, because we were praying and wondering if maybe God was calling us to Africa at some point. We believed, we thought that maybe we would go in our first term you know, would be maybe sometime in 2025, 2026, or or later, that our first term would overlap with their last term, that they would uh, help establish us in in Kenya. Or maybe it wouldn't even be Kenya. Maybe we would go to Tanzania or Ethiopia or Uganda, somewhere else. But we came away from that meeting with Lynn and Dory, um, as well as several people from CMF, really uh, feeling the call that God was indeed calling us to Africa. And that he would equip us as he had called us, you know, um, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews thirteen. You know, God equips those who who he calls, and so uh, so we felt that we sensed that. And then a week later, uh, Lynn got COVID, and between uh, the sickness with his lungs and his heart, he was never able to catch up, and he uh, passed away uh, last year, uh, right after the first of the year, which sent shock waves through through the church. You know, we've, we've had this relationship, these people on the ground, um, 35 years of ministry in Kenya, you know, what's, what's the next season going to look like? And so we began to pray and sense that God was calling us to be, you know, the next people there. And so it's not like we just, you know, threw a dart and go, oh yeah, Kenya. Yeah, I guess we'll go there. You know, we, we are following in the footsteps of some great missionaries with a great organization, uh, CMF Christian Missionary Fellowship. They have been doing missions for 70 years, and uh, they have a great team, a great strategy. And, and the mission field in Kenya is, I would even say, changing. Um, and we're able to get there just as this new chapter of ministry is being. I'll let Mary talk about kind of what ministry is going to look like for us in Kenya.
3: All right. I'm actually going to go backwards, though. Sorry. Please do.
2: Yes. <laughs> so Not a t- problem. Go for it. I miss a lot of stuff. I get excited and just...
3: No, so, you did a great job. You kind of explained like the macro kind of how our calling has changed and the relationship between mm-hmm. um, CMF and our church, FCC, and the legacy of missionaries in Kenya. Um, but earlier, we had just talked about how the, our church as a whole is committed to the block to the elementary school that's close to our church, to the neighborhood that the children live in. Um, And so as far as our calling, we've been so grateful to have been a part of that and to continue, continue to be a part of that. And after we leave, I think one of the best things is that none of it was built around us. And so these things will continue and the house that the church rehabbed here in the block that we're sitting in right now, it's still going to be here. And the church is going to move another person or a couple of college guys or a family. We don't know what that's going to look like yet, but someone else is going to live here. And with BJ leaving there, splitting up his job into several different things, um, several different positions And that's going to allow the next people to put more time and more energy into specific things, more time and energy into the school and into our neighborhood. So we're really excited because I think we've been here to see it start. And we'll be cheering on the next people who move in. And it's just going to grow and get better. And I think one of the things that living here has taught me Apparently I'm emotional today. My apologies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. The older I get, the more of a softy I am. So I understand.
3: Sorry, but um, I think living here has taught us how much more could be done. And I think we're just really excited to see somebody come in and do more than we've been able to do and to take it the next step and for things to grow and to change and, I also think the older we get, the more we value, like it's good when there's new ideas and there's a new person to take on what's coming next and to watch things grow and to watch God do something really beautiful and realize you're a piece of that puzzle, but you're not the whole puzzle. And so just as a family, I think our family has always had BJ and I, and we're trying to grow in our kids. Like we've always had a people a heart for people outside of the church. And so the block has definitely been that when we were in college, we did a ministry with junior high kids um, that were outside of the walls of the church and reaching out at Parsons and reaching out in our neighborhood has been that. And so I guess moving into what we're going to do in Kenya, um, that calling continues. And that one of the things we're going to be really focused on is disciple making movements and, working with the existing churches that are there, but also working with new believers and getting away from a model of like, you start a church and you invite people into it into more of a model of you make disciples. And as the disciples grow, they form churches in every village and in every city and in every neighborhood throughout Kenya. And so definitely not at all sidelining the church. We want to see people involved in church. We think churches. healthy and wonderful place for people to grow in community and in their relationship with god but instead of starting with a church we're starting with disciples and then forming small groups of churches um so that is going to be one of the things that we are doing in kenya is focusing on those disciple making movements and just really reaching outside the walls of the churches that exist and saying who are these other people and how can they be offered an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus.
2: Yeah. Yeah. J.D. Payne wrote uh, wrote a great book uh, called Apostolic Church Planting, which is all about planting new churches with new disciples that are already contextualized to the environments where they exist. And uh, we're just super excited. That's already happening in Kenya. Uh, There's already disciple making movements, especially in the uh, Northwestern part uh, a region called Turkana, which right now is experiencing a significant drought, so we can continue to pray for them. But also, the gospel is spreading like wildfire, and there are places where these disciple making movements are uh, in the fifth, sixth, seventh, even some places, eighth generation of disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. Making disciples. So uh, we're seeing what started as a group of 10 or 12 people uh, now at uh, getting close to 7,000, uh, which is super exciting to see. And so, um, and I would say that's probably something else. We just, we're really excited to, uh, be a part of, um, what God is doing in Kenya. You know, we, we read about it in Acts and, uh, you know, we've always asked the question, Hey, if this happened in Acts, can it happen today? Like, can't we see this happening today? And it's happening today. Well, how can...
1: The, the DHF churches or anybody listening to this podcast, uh, how can they help you or support you? Certainly prayer, but what else?
3: Certainly prayer. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly. We're a hot mess of a family. <laughs> yeah. Um, We have specifically, I hope it's okay to share yep. this on a podcast. Um, specifically, we, earlier BJ mentioned that we have five kids and then we talked about taking three kids to Kenya and then four kids to Kenya. So if you're any sort of a math person, you've realized that doesn't add up to five. Um, So we are fostering a little girl and we would love to see her to permanency before we leave. And it's a very complicated situation. And so just prayers for all of that. Um, And then another way we would love for people to support us is to come and visit. I think one of the really special things we can't have visitors our very first year on the field. Um, But one of the reasons I think that first Christian church has had such a strong relationship with what is happening in Kenya is that people have come and they have Mm -hmm. built relationships with the people in Kenya that they have met and they have stayed in. And it's, it's one thing. um, to send money on a monthly basis, but it's a whole different, it's a whole different level of giving and joy, I think, when you know who's on the other end and you see the people and you hear their stories and you don't just hear them secondhand from a missionary, but you can say, like, oh, I was at that medical clinic when we met this man, or I was at that service when this family came and they asked for prayer and a miracle happened. And so we would love to have, um, anybody come and visit, come and serve. We are looking at hosting less big teams and hosting more smaller teams and or families. So as a family with lots of kids and a family that missions and families being on mission is important. Um, anybody is listening and you have small children and you think we love Jesus and we want to make a difference, but our kids are a disaster. Bring them to Africa and come visit us and explore what it would look like for your family to be on mission together. Um, I think we could help you and your family do a family mission trip that is family paced, but also is really life-changing. So come and visit us.
2: Yeah, so we are looking for partners, uh, partnerships, whether it be individuals or churches. Um, I know that for the churches that have been able to uh, connect with missionaries in the same way that First Christian Church has been connected with the Woodses and then later the Kazirs, and now for us, it really is life-changing and Mm life-giving for that congregation. It is is not just a one-way relationship. Uh, The blessing goes both ways. And uh, you'll be amazed how your church will come alive and grow as you engage in God's kingdom economy of when we give, we receive, when we are, uh, when we bless others, we're blessed. And so um, if, uh, if, if an individual or a church is interested in partnering with us, you can go to uh, the uh, CMF website. So you can go to www.cmfi.org. And then our specific um, page is uh, you can just you can just put slash b m l e o n a r d and what that does is that pulls up our giving page. It's also our bio page. You can also uh, subscribe to our e newsletter. We just sent one out uh, a couple of days ago. Those will come out probably every uh, six weeks or so. And uh, we are, we're looking for partnerships. We're not looking for money. we're looking for partnerships. And yes. uh, God, we believe is going to provide financially, but we're also looking for churches that we can call family and that we can talk to on a regular basis, uh, churches that will hear from us and we'll get to hear from them. and when we're uh, back in the states, we'd love to come visit your church. We'd love to, uh, as long as you don't mind us bringing our our parade uh, circus up on stage, we'd love to for for you to be able to see what we're doing and share the stories and share in, uh, the stories together and sharing those victories together because, uh, we are a team. Um, the churches that support the people that go, we're all part of God's kingdom work. And we're just excited to be able to serve on, on people's behalf. So once again, uh, cmfi.org slash B M L E O N A R D. I don't know if it's possible to like put that on the screen or something, but Anyway,
1: uh-huh. it,
2: it, at the very least uh, between me
1: and, and Fred that, you know, sure. from uh, FCC Decatur, we'll make
0: sure it's in the, sh- the show notes.
3: So everybody can cool. We Thanks. just hit the 50% mark of financial support. So we're really excited about that. But like BJ said, um, our supporters are real people. And we truly believe that the ministry of giving and of supporting goes both ways. And so we, want it to be a relationship um, and just to add we have we have all of these great things that cmf gave us cmf is the sending agency that we're going through um, but apart we know that not everyone feels like called to go to africa or kenya or go out to the bush um, but if you have young people in your congregations there are other opportunities There are summer internships across the world some in Places like Kenya, some in places like London or Great Britain. Um, So there's that. And we actually, someone from our church who is an adult, maybe in his, I don't know how old he is, 40s, 50s. He is preparing right now to do a cross-cultural 10-month stint overseas. So you're never too old. And I think that's great. So there's just a lot of opportunities and ways to get involved. So, but we're, we're excited to go and we're excited to partner with you and we're excited to host people and we are just ready. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing um, all of that with us. It's always important for the church to have a fresh encounter with where the Spirit's moving and uh, brand new as phases shifts. I, I think it's incredible that as you all move out of the role you're in, a beautiful part of the story is God has been providing for things to change and be reevaluated and reinvested in for things to get better. And that's just a beautiful way that God has the potential of working on our churches when we listen and move with his guidance. Yeah. And I think at the heart of what I'm blessed with in this story is just this sense of whether it's in Decatur or whether it's in Kenya, um, at the heartbeat of our churches is this encounter with Jesus through the table and the idea of, um, really it doesn't take like the most brilliant sermon with smoke show. And I mean, it takes just lives overlapping in God's presence and the table just historically has meant so much to Christians. And then there's some touch on humanity. And so I think it's a beautiful image to kind of wrap up with and how God has ministered through you all, the church and that neighborhood with an invitation to a table. And so thank you so much for joining us this morning.
3: Thank you so much for having us.
0: So thank you for joining us for another DHF podcast. Um, If you would like to find out more, make a comment, give us suggestions about future episodes, you can do that over at DiscipleHeritageFellowship.org. Have a great day.